You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1109 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you on a Wednesday evening into Thursday. And today's episode of Locked On Hots Podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. Probably serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty and affordable food. It's an unofficial community center. A big thank you to our friends at McDonald's for always being there. I'm loving it. Today's podcast will break down what became a 117-108 to loss in Brooklyn for the Hawks. Uh, not the worst performance of the season by any means from the Hawks, but still now 4-4. Four and four on the campaign, and uh, given the expectations preseason for this team, no one's thrilled with that. Now 1-4 and four on the road as well. We'll dive into all of that uh, and what transpired in this game, from the highs and lows to the game flow, takeaways, and everything else. If you're a new listener to the podcast, welcome aboard. I appreciate your listenership. Please subscribe to the podcast, and uh, with all that out of the way, we will dive in to the game. Uh, pre-game-wise, it did feel like a lifetime ago, but the Hawks did play well both times in Brooklyn last year. It was both in the first five games of the year, which is kind of crazy, and within three days of each other. But the Hawks won by 18 in Brooklyn and lost by four in the other game in a close spot back-and-forth battle. This game was kind of in the middle of that, I guess, um, in terms of competitiveness, but the Hawks were, of course, on the worst end of it. Um, the Nets did have a rest advantage in this game, uh, playing at home, number one, and also with two days off before this. And the Nets actually, this is the last game of a six-game homestand for Brooklyn, so a slight advantage on paper there. Um, of course, they're still without Kyrie Irving, which levels playing field on some level, but uh, Nick Claxton out for Brooklyn in this game. The Hawks were largely healthy. Trey Young and Bogdan Bogdanovich were both probable coming into the game. Uh, John Collins was actually the biggest question mark coming in to the night. He was listed as questionable with a left foot strain, ended up playing and playing well. Um, playing normal minutes and all that stuff, so I, I assume nothing to be terribly worried about at that point in time with Collins, but we'll keep an eye on that for Thursday. Um, and the inactive player for the Hawks was Sharif, was Sharif Cooper. If you miss this, every time the Hawks have uh, full health other than a Kong, they have to choose someone to be inactive, and it's been Sharif every time they made that choice so far, other than the last game when Kevin Herter was a scratch due to rest from what Nate McMillan had to say, but unless it's that, it's been Sharif. Just keep that in mind for uh, why he was not on the bench in this game. And uh, our friends at BetOnline.ag made the Hawks five-point underdogs for most of the day. Once Collins was ruled to be in, it was down to about four and a half. The Hawks were still underdogs. Not a surprise. You know, you go on the road to Brooklyn, a team that is, you know, has a rest advantage and also is loaded, preseason title favorites, all that stuff. Not a huge surprise there. The second time this season, the Hawks have been underdogs. They were underdogs also in Philadelphia over the weekend and lost that game as well. Um, but anyway, that's all the uh, pregame stuff. And I will just say a sort of a couple top-line thoughts here before we dive in. The Hawks' defense um, was not its best, we'll say. But the first half of this game was really entertaining, I will say. It was back and forth, back and forth, keeping pace, the Hawks did, providing lead changes and a lot of excitement in the second quarter. Um, there was a huge run that we'll get into in detail um, by the Nets in the third quarter to break the game open that basically decided the game. In retrospect, the third quarter really was the pivot point in this contest, both overall and particularly down the stretch of the third quarter. Went from a game that was basically knotted up or close to it to Brooklyn having complete control the rest of the way. And honestly, the defense just wasn't good enough. The offense wasn't good enough either. It was kind of a neither, neither side was disastrous, but neither side was good enough to get the upset win on the road. Uh, before we get into the game flow, though, and uh, everything 
as always, that transpired in this contest. A word from our sponsors on the show, and the first of which is rockauto.com. Have you ever gone to a chain store looking for auto parts that fit your car? Is it maddening? Because it is for me. I know it has been in the past, and it will be if I ever try that again. But frankly, I don't ever need to do that again because of rockauto.com. Rock Auto has been serving auto parts customers for 20 years at this point in time, and you could save time and money when you use Rock Auto. They have all kinds of auto parts that will fit your lifestyle, fit your preferences, and the best part is you don't have to endure the pointless questioning from someone behind the counter who's only looking to sell you the one part or one kind of part that they have in their warehouse. RockAuto.com has everything you could possibly need from brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet, and honestly, the prices are always reliably low for every customer, and they really serve the do-it-yourselfer very, very effectively. You can go explore their website right now. It's very easy to use. You can find a solution to your auto parts needs in one place. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck, and from there, you want to write locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Bet Online is back and better than ever with a new web interface for the start of the basketball season and much more in terms of props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the basketball football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's 50% on your first deposit with betonline.ag if you use the promo code Locked On to receive that bonus. For basketball, football, baseball, postseason stuff, NHL, boxing, UFC, tennis, golf, favorite casino games, and much, much more. Do not wait to take advantage of any of the amazing offers available to you this season because everything that you could want and much, much more is at betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. Okay, and we'll get into the game flow in this one now. Kind of some interesting observations at the outset of this one. The Nets started Bruce Brown, and they started small. That's what they've been doing the last couple of games, and Bruce Brown was an X-factor for them in the playoffs, but he is a very rare player in that he was basically playing the four of the five on offense and also guarding Trey Young defensively, which I thought was at least kind of interesting and noteworthy. Not something you see every day in the NBA. Um, Brooklyn had KD actually guarding John Collins as a result of that, um, but Brown got some foul trouble early on and kind of had to pivot that. Um, and the best stretch of the game for Trey Young was actually at the outset, which we'll get into. Um, but defensively for the Hawks, it was Hunter on Durant, as you might expect, um, Bogey on Harden in the starting lineup, and then Trey Young on Joe Harris, as it was uh, most of the time last season when, when, when these teams matched up. And that makes a lot of sense for kind of what I would do as well. Um, in terms of the early push from the Hawks, one of their best stretches as a team was an 8-0 run to grab an early lead. Actually, the Nets scored the first five points, but then Hunter hit a three from Atlanta, and then Trey followed that up with a three of his own, caused it a nice little bucket, and uh, it was just an uh, interesting kind of back and forth. That was kind of the theme of the entire first half. But as I said a second ago, the best stretch of the, of the game for Trey was, was early on. He had 11 points in the first six minutes, and from there he really kind of bottomed out by his standards. But he had two threes. He got to the line four times at two assists. He was actually responsible for 22 of the first 24 points for Atlanta. And, you know, when he does that normally, it's like, all right, it's going to be a big night for Trey, and it just kind of didn't happen in this game. Uh, Hunter, though, was hot. He made his first two threes and actually way more than that, which we'll, we'll, come, we'll come back to. But the Hawks were 4-7 from three as a team. They went small as a general rule in this game. Um, and that's kind of the way that I would have approached it. You know, Gorgie Jang played very little as the backup center. They kind of went with Collins as the backup five, even a little bit of Gallo at one point. And Brooklyn, um, you know, they have Lamarcus Aldridge, who's definitely a center at this point in his career. But they basically play, you know, small-ish all the time. It's Blake Griffin at the five to start. It's Paul Millsap, old friend. It's Aldridge at the five. They don't play big, really, ever, at least in their current alignment. So that was, it made sense for the Hawks to stay small. 
at times. Um, the first big run for Brooklyn was a 12-0 run to go from down six to up six late in the first quarter. The Hawks did lose this game for different stretches, um, but that was kind of the first big salvo in Brooklyn's direction. And the Hawks didn't score for about two and a half minutes. That led to Brooklyn being up by seven at the end of the first quarter. And the Nets were hot. They shot 58% from the floor, I should say, in the first half, in the first quarter, I should say. And five of three, five of 11 from three in the first quarter. They had 35 points on 26 possessions. So if you do the math on that, it's about 135 offensive rating for Brooklyn. That's not going to get it done defensively. The Hawks were pretty good on offense in that first period, but only shot 6 of 16 on twos. They were actually pretty good from three early on uh, and got to the line uh, five times. But, you know, worth pointing out that they were, even when they were good offensively in this game, um, they couldn't combine it with good defense for the most part. The second quarter did go the Hawks' direction. It was the only quarter um, of consequence. You know, the fourth also went in their direction, but the first three quarters when it was actually being competitive. The, the best quarter was the second quarter for the Hawks. They actually put the full second unit for a while at the start of the second quarter with Lou Williams at the point. Um, noteworthy that Young and Collins played the entire first quarter, so they kind of had the rotation a little bit shaken up. They kind of, I thought, waited to put Gorgie Jang in the game when Kevin Durant was not, and that made sense to me. Um, first, you know, the, the, the Jang-Gallinari tandem against Brooklyn is just kind of untenable. It's just too slow, and defensively just wouldn't work. So if you're going to do that, you kind of have to wait for KDB off the court. And uh, Jang only put three minutes in the entire game, which is worth pointing out. He did not play all in the second half. Uh, Lou struggled in this game, and in the first half, he's actually 0-4. Uh, he, came in, he came into the night... 8 of 21 from the floor on the season for Lou, and he went uh, 1 of 6. So he is uh, 9 of 27 now for the season from the floor. Uh, early season, obviously it's a small sample size, but if he doesn't make shots, it's it's tough. Um, Brooklyn took the it took a 10-point lead at one point in the second quarter before the Hawks did rally back. They actually had their single best stretch of, this, of the night right after that. Um, Kevin Herter had a great little stretch by himself to kind of key that push. He had nine points in three minutes, and as we've talked about a number of times on the podcast, he's been struggling so far this season, but he was good on this night, um, made his first five shots and helped the Hawks force a timeout, get within four, and then that, that continued. It was a 16-5 to overall run by Atlanta to go from down 10 to up one late in the first half. Brooklyn only had five points in six minutes, and their, their bench was mostly responsible for that, but still the Hawks played better in that stretch. A um, couple more runs, though. I, I, I sort of do the uh, hilarious game of runs kind of trope, but it really was the case late in the first half of this game. The Nets responded, asserted control again, and the Hawks had another 10-2 to 2 run to go up by 5 again. A great transition sequence, actually, that I wanted to point out. It was an outlet pass by Trey Young to John Collins, who then threw a great lob to Clint Capella for a dunk, and then Hunter hit back-to-back threes, and the Hawks are up again. But... After a timeout by the Nets, it was kind of the same exact thing, back and forth. A 7-0 run by Brooklyn. Um, they lost Joe Harris a bunch in this game. I think that was one of the issues that the Hawks had all night, which is losing shooters. You know, Joe Harris is the guy who is you know known to be just a shooter for the most part. But even Durant and Harden were taking way too many like catch-and-shoot good shots. Patty Mills, same thing. A bunch of really good shooters getting left open too often. Uh, I thought Trey Young was pretty bad and was one of the culprits there defensively. But the Hawks did settle in only down by two at the break. And considering... All that transpired, that, that felt okay. They were, they were competitive, lots of lead changes. The Hawks made 9 of 20 from 3. I was encouraged by that volume of 3-point shooting in the first half. Hunter was 5 of 5 from 3 before halftime, 17 points. A tie for his career high in first half points was 17. Um, Trey slowed down after the barrage early on. He had 7 assists. Herder had, Herder had 11 points. But with, uh, I guess it was a little bit of foreshadowing in that the Nets only had three points from James Harden in the first half and still scored about 1.2 points per possession, which is a lot, um, very clearly. 
Uh, the third quarter, as we sort of foreshadowed earlier earlier in the podcast, was where things got away from the Hawks, but it didn't happen for a little while. There was this great sequence when the Hawks took advantage of Blake Griffin back-to-back times. First, Trey Young blew right by him for a nice scooping layup in the lane, his only bucket of the third quarter, by the way. And then Hunter got him at the top of the key, went to his right, beat him off the dribble, and then threw down this massive dunk, followed by a celebration, plus the foul. And that was a nice moment, probably the highlight of the night for Atlanta overall, at least in terms of one single play. Um, it was back and forth for the first six, seven minutes of the third quarter, and the Hawks were really in it. They were kind of, it was tied, they were down by two, it was tied again, down one, that kind of stuff. Very, very close. Uh, Hunter made a three, actually making his first six threes of the night with about 17 minutes left in the game. But then Kevin Durant had a 7-0 run personally, um, where he scored you know at will at times to force a timeout. And then the Hawks, leaning small, um, had, this is the stretch that I, I'm not going into too much detail, but I want to at least paint the picture for you a little bit. The last three minutes of the third quarter is where the Hawks lost this game. Uh, they might have lost it anyway, but if you want to circle one particular stretch, this was it. So the last seven possessions on offense of the third quarter for the Hawks were the following. A turnover by John, Col- by John Collins, a missed jumper by John Collins, Cam Reddish got a shot blocked in pretty ugly fashion, Kevin Hurd turned it over, then Cam committed an offensive foul, uh, Collins missed another jump shot, and then Lou missed a jump shot on the foul possession. So 0 for 7, no points in terms of, uh, of possessions. Um, three turnovers in there, just really ugly stuff. And at the same time as that, the Nets scored 12 points. So it was a 12-0 run in about three minutes, and that made it a 20-4 run overall. From it, it was a tie game fairly late in the third, and the Hawks go into the fourth quarter down by 16 points. And that's where you lose. I mean, obviously, that kind of goes without saying. But if you watched it, they just kind of lost the plot. It was it was really bad. It was a lot of the bench unit plus Collins, basically, in that in that little run. Uh, I thought Cam was very bad. I thought Lou was bad in that stretch. Uh, it was all just kind of a mess on both ends of the floor. Katie got loose. Um, the Nets scored 34 points in the period and hit six threes. And it's just it was kind of doomsday from there. It wasn't over over. They weren't they weren't down 25. But at 16 against the Nets, you are um, definitely drawing very thin. We'll say. Um, in the fourth, they actually went back to Capella with the bench because Collins had played 29 minutes for three quarters. That's obviously a ton on a back-to-back. Um, the best little uh, bit of hope the Hawks had was after it got, they got down 17, there was a three-possession stretch where it was Gallo, Gallo hit a three, they got a steal from Lou, and the Herder hit a three to go from down 17 to down 11 with nine minutes to go. Um, you are still the dog there by a lot, clearly, against the Nets, but you're in the game down 11 with nine minutes to go. But the Nets picked up the offense from there. Um, it got down to 10 for a very, very brief moment. Then Harden scored seven points on two possessions. He had a three, and then he had a four-point play. And for me, that's when the game pretty much ended. It wasn't, you know, again, official. But I circled that one as sort of the dagger sequence for the Hawks to go back, go from down 10 to down 17 with six minutes to go. The Hawks did get it down to, you know, 10-ish at one point. And they went small with Herter in place of Capella trying to get offense on the floor. That was the right decision in my mind to kind of just stay small and try to bombs away. But the Hawks, you know, had little opportunities. But actually, it was kind of weird. Neither team scored for about two and a half minutes. Uh, it was 113-100 forever, basically. <laughs> um, and that's bad news, though, for the Hawks because they had to make up that ground. You know, the Nets didn't score and actually kind of opened the door for them. They just couldn't run through it, couldn't score. And uh, Hard hit another three with about, you know, two, minutes, two and a half minutes to go. And that was basically the end of that. So a lot to get to there, of course. And we'll sort of zoom out in a second with some overall takeaways. But... 
one more time with feeling, the end of the third quarter was where this game was lost from the Hawks. And it wasn't this dominant performance elsewhere. Um, it was just kind of an okay effort for the most part. And then you get into that one, and that kind of makes it a below-average performance overall because of that little uh, let go of the rope at the end of the third quarter. We'll come back to that and uh, all the numbers and all of my observations and things from this contest. But before we do that, this episode of the Locked on Hawks podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. And McDonald's has been proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than a place to just get tasty and affordable food. It is much more than that, in fact. It's a place where friends and family can come and reconnect. It's a place where classmates can come meet for a study group, knowing that they can depend on the Wi-Fi and the endless supplies of French fries and McFlurries. It's a place where teams and competitors and home teams and away teams rivals and anybody in between come to recharge and it's a place where you can look forward to stopping on a long road trip to rest your legs and refuel mcdonald's has been great for me for a very very long time i'm a fan of all kinds of things on the menu and a sneaky thing for a sports writer slash podcaster like myself is that the dependable wi-fi is a huge huge bonus i can sit there i can eat great food and also work at the same time and i'm always on the go so mcdonald's being all over the place and very convenient and very tasty is a home run for me with all that said, you can head to the local McDonald's right now to refuel and connect. And honestly, it might even be a great spot for a Locked on Hawks watch party. Check out McDonald's today. I'm loving it. Okay, we'll dive in now to the takeaways and observations from this game. And we'll start on offense. The offense was not particularly good. It wasn't a disaster. The ball, the ball didn't fall out. They scored about 107 points per 100 possessions, which is below average, particularly for this offense. And Brooklyn's defense is not terrible either but it's not very good you know they're playing without Kyrie which makes them probably a little bit better but at the same time they're playing Patty Mills they're playing James Harden they're playing you know smaller than usual so defensively it's not the toughest match in the world for the Hawks to score but in this game the shooting kind of cratered after halftime um we'll get into the individual stuff in a second but um combined it is tough to overcome a 9 of 32 shooting night from Trey Young and Bogdan Madonovich as your starting backcourt and then off the bench your two like spark plug creators at least in theory, are Cam Reddish and Lou Williams, who are a combined two of twelve. So you throw those guys together, and you know they're they're eleven of forty four from the floor. Those four guys, that's tough. And uh, you know it wasn't like anybody else other than you know basically the Hunter and Herder. They were very very efficient. Nobody else really was in this game. Um, they were awesome in transition by the numbers. The Hawks scored about one point six points per possession in transition in this game, which is uber elite. But in the half court, which is where you know. It's tougher to score for sure, but you have more of those possessions, a lot more. They were bad. They scored less than 0.9 points per, per, per possession. And uh, Nate McMillan sort of decried the uh, quick shots in half-court settings and uh, allowing the transition stuff to happen for Brooklyn as a result of that. That might be a little bit overblown in my mind, but at, at a bare minimum, the Hawks were not effective in, tra- uh, in half-court situations, which that, make, that makes your life difficult because you can't just rely fully on transition to generate your offense. And the second half just kind of, uh, you know, it spun things. So the Hawks were, this is the big stat, the Hawks were 4-15 from three in the second half, which is, you know, you can overcome that. It's not, you know, it's not 0-15, but it's below average, and they only had nine assists. The Nets were 12-25 of from three in the second half. So they outscored the Hawks by a whopping 24 points from beyond the arc in the second half alone with 15 assists on theirs. They took 10 more threes and made eight more, and that's just tough to overcome. It's not only that, but uh, the math problem there goes against you. Um, shot, shot profile-wise, the Hawks did take more shots from mid-range than at the rim in this game, but they actually outscored the Nets very solidly around the paint. They actually had 20 more points than the Nets did in the paint, but the Nets took 48 threes and 15 corner threes, and that is bad defensive game planning, especially against the Nets. You can't allow the Nets to get up 50, almost 53-point 50, 50 attempts because they're, they're going to burn you. They have too, they, they, The shooting's just too good. 
Um, clearly, you know, they could have a bad shooting night, but the math on that, again, is just not what you want, and I think the game planning was not ideal. They kind of let, uh, kind of lost some guys um, in terms of execution. There were some midcourt traps that, that kind of went awry in this game. Um, it wasn't, like, you know, baffling bad defensively for the Hawks in this game, and the Nets basically scored at their league average rate. Um, but I'll just leave that there for now. Um, overall, though, Brooklyn's true shooting was 63% from the floor, uh, sorry, that's true shooting, so their overall efficiency as a shooting team. But, honestly, the Hawks got bailed out a little bit by Brooklyn had 16 turnovers and 7 offensive rebounds, which are very, very good numbers for the defense, or it would have been worse. So, in short, Brooklyn shot the heck out of the ball. The Hawks' defense, in terms of contesting and not losing guys, was not very connected, and uh, we'll leave it there. But offense, below average. Defense, probably below average, maybe a little bit you know, closer to average, given that the Brooklyn Brooklyn is so powerful offensively. But nothing to really hang your hat on either end of the floor here for Atlanta. Um, we'll get into the players now before we get out of here. And the Hawks played 10 guys, but only 9 in the second half. Um, this is really the first time this season that the Hawks really tightened their rotation in the second half. Now, it was pretty much game plan related, I think, because Gorgie James did not play in the second half. And that made sense to me. Um, I like Gorgie. I think he's an effective player. But if there's one team in the league where he's not going to be very effective it's against the Nets um just to, you know he's a he's a defense first more of a plotting center at this point in time and against Brooklyn that's there's no there's nowhere really to hide him I mean you could have him guard Aldridge at, but in the first half Aldridge got hot so that kind of made things a little bit worse uh, Gorgie could, could definitely defend Paul Millsap um but you know having him out there is tough against uh, James Harden and Kevin Durant elsewhere uh the bench was uh, some highs and some lows so Lou Williams, I mentioned before, 106 from the floor, 03 from three. Did have five assists, had some nice creation reps offensively on the ball, but shooting wise, it's been tough. And you know, Lou relies so much on his scoring and his efficiency that if he doesn't have that, it's uh, it, it becomes a little bit untenable. I personally would like to see Delon Wright. I would expect, maybe not, maybe expect. I would, I would personally use Delon Wright on Thursday against Utah um, for a number of reasons. Number one. Lou on a back-to-back with his age with travel is probably a tough ask. Uh, and also, I think DeLon Wright um, just is a little bit of a steadier hand. Uh, I will credit this to Kevin Chenard of Hawks.com, ATL29, good friend of the podcast, Kevin Chenard. Love Kevin. Um, he talked to Nate uh, the other day and said, Nate kind of referenced that, you know, DeLon wasn't quite all the way up there with, like, running the offense, like, making calls. Um, I, I can I, mean, I, I can definitely say that that would be a problem, but I think DeLon's a vet and doesn't really show that. And even then, you're not really running your offense through him. So I like to see him out there, particularly you know to guard guys like Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley. Um, we'll see what happens there. But I think that Lou has been pretty bad to this point. And I'm, I'm a big Lou supporter overall. I've uh, been following Lou's career for a very long time, but he's not playing all that well right now. And I think Wright looked pretty decent when he was out there. So that change, you know, it might be back and forth all year long. And Nate's, Nate has said that a couple times, like, There'll be some picking and choosing with regard to who plays between DeLon and Lou or both. And uh, since the second half of the first Washington game last week, it's basically gone back to Lou after it had been DeLon pretty firmly before that. So who knows, but uh, I would probably make that switch for Thursday if it was my decision. Um, The other guy who struggled in this game was Cam Reddish. Uh, This makes him look worse than he was, but he was a game worst by far, minus 25 in this game. Um, That is... Again, overstating it, I don't think he played particularly well in the first half, but I thought he was largely fine before halftime. I thought he was dreadful in the second half. Um, especially the third quarter, he was a big part of when the rope got uh, got dropped in that third quarter, uh, which is part of the reason why the plus-minus is so bad is because that run he was on the floor for that run when it was a 20-4 to run. Um, you know, Cam 
did not have I mean, he was kind of maybe due for one of these. You know, offensively, he's been way above average so far as we talked about. And I should plug this now. I did a mailbag yesterday, which I answered a question about like who's been playing well, who hasn't basically. And Cam's been playing well offensively, no question. This is uh, this night, not so much. But defensively, you know, he got burned a little bit by KD. What are you going to do? KD does that to everybody basically. But um, a night where he'll want to forget that one probably for Cam. Um, the other two guys were fine. Gallo, 16 minutes, seven points. Um, wasn't terribly you know noteworthy either way, but. Uh, I thought he was okay offensively. And then Kevin Herter, a nice bounce back here. 16 points on 7 of 9 shooting, 2 of 2 from 3. Got in the lane a bunch of times in terms of like shades of that playoff run, like getting to that like, 8 to 10 foot range for good, for good looks, using his length. Had a steal, had a block. He was active, had an assist. Um, it was good to see the ball go in more than anything, but also just good to see him playing with confidence after the night off on Monday. So uh, an encouraging sign for Kevin. Um, to the starters, again, more highs and lows here. Um, Bogey was quiet, uh, eight points, did have three steals in this game, but, uh, eight points on, on 10 shooting possessions is kind of below average. He, he, he didn't play as much as I would have wanted him to. Um, I'm not sure if they were going to bring him back in earlier if the game was closer, but 29 minutes, I, I'd like to have him play more than that. But it's a back-to-back, I get that. Um, he was actually plus three in this game, which is funny. Um, I thought he was just okay. Um, Trey Young, it was a weird one for Trey. Uh, he had the great start in which he had 11 points in six minutes on three of five shooting. But from that point forward, he was three of 17 from the floor um, for 10 points. And, you know, was he still effective in a lot of ways? Yeah. I mean, he had 21, 10, and 9. He got a near triple-double, got to the line eight times. He's still an effective offensive player when he's not making shots because he has to be guarded so, so different, differently than everybody else on the Hawks roster. So, again, we're adjusting for – we're sort of adjusting by baseline, not overall – He's still an effective player, but when you shoot 3 of 17 for the last three and a half quarters, it's tough. Um, so a bad night for him overall in terms of, again, for his baseline. And I, and I thought defensively, you know, he's shown signs this year of improvement. I thought he was better in the playoffs, all that stuff. He's not nearly as bad as people want to make him out to be at this point, but this is a night where it was showing up. He, I thought he was pretty bad defensively. Um, losing Joe Harris, it's a bad matchup for him, clearly. Like, there's nowhere to hide him. You can put him on Bruce Brown, but Bruce Brown is physical, and you don't necessarily want to have him deal with that pounding, and so you got to put him on Joe Harris. And Joe Harris is a big threat. Like it's obviously not going to like you know run routes through Joe Harris, but he's it's a it's a tough ask for Trey to be that attentive off the ball, and it did not work out very well in this game. Uh, Clint Capella was fine. I thought he was probably better than he's been at times this season uh, defensively. He actually was plus ten. There's some noise in there, I'm sure, but 13 points, 16 rebounds in 33 minutes. Offensively, not his absolute finest, but I thought he was uh, pretty solid overall. Had some uh, hiccups for sure, but I thought he was okay. Um, Okay to pretty good in this game. Uh, John Collins, more solid play. He didn't shoot it well in this game, so that's kind of the one knock after he had been red hot. I think he entered this game with 66% true shooting for the season, which is uber elite. Um, and in this game, he had 13 points on 14 shooting possessions, so that's below water for him. But 12 rebounds, had a steal, had two blocks. Uh, defensively, he's been flying around this season. Um, Passing-wise, a couple nice passes again. I think uh, John's been playing very well. Didn't, didn't have a shot in this game, but other than that, totally fine. And then DeAndre Hunter was super-duper hot in this game. It's kind of a nuanced discussion. I think you probably know that about me if you're a long-time listener. I'm not going to just tell you the numbers and leave out the context. So I'll, I'll, I'll start with the positive. He shot 6 of 6 from 3 in this game. That's a career high um, from 3 for DeAndre. He had 26 points on 11 shots. That's obviously fantastic. 
Uh, he was four or five on twos, six or six on threes. Did miss his only free throw attempt, but um, you can't fake that. I thought obviously it's good that he had the ball go in the basket. Um, I'm not sure he played all that well offensively in this game. Clearly, you have to adjust for him making all those shots. So if you factor that in, in terms of the shots going in, then yes, he obviously had a hugely positive impact as all the shots went in. But I think his like he had some pretty bad like no passes, some interesting like turn. He had four turnovers, um, some bad decision making processes. Had you know no assist, no assist, four turnovers kind of tells the story a little bit. But the ball went in the basket. They lost him a bunch. Like kind of weirdly, Brooklyn was leading him open quite a bit. He had one nice step in uh, at the top of the key for a bucket, but. A mixed bag, you know. As much as I want to be positive, he definitely was effective because the because the ball went in. But two rebounds, no assists. You know, it was this. he was he was hot from three, and that's kind of what the score what the story was here for DeAndre. And that's a good sign because clearly him taking threes is almost more important than making them right now in my mind because he's been settling for a lot of mid rangers, etc. I think it was good to see him take six threes. He made them all and uh, made a positive impact as a result of that. But a little bit of nuance there. I want to see him pass the ball more, a little bit more uh, effectively, uh, do, do some more playmaking, decision-making stuff that's uh, a little bit more improved at this stage. Um, i say all that. You know, there, were, there were some bright spots. Obviously, Hunter's shooting, Herter's bounce back. Um, those were probably the two big ones for me. I thought Collins was fine as well. Um, guys who struggled, you know, Reddish was pretty bad. Um, Trey was not good by his standards in this game. So highs and lows, Lou Williams is struggling. But... Um, all told, there's no shame in losing to Brooklyn on the road by nine. That's a broad statement to make, but it's also true. You know, you could argue this game was probably more in that like 13-15 range by the time um, it was actually over. But the Nets are really good, so that's not like a terrible loss. But it's not a game that you can be super happy with either. So there's teaching stuff to be happening in the coming hours. But a quick turnaround for the Hawks in this spot. They have to return home to play the Utah Jazz on Thursday. In Atlanta, and Utah is uh, quite good for one. They're six and one this season with a plus twelve net rating. Um, they have normal rest, and the Hawks don't. So a rest advantage. They're really good. Um, this is a massive challenge. We'll just say that. Um, is it winnable? Sure, it is. You know, Utah's not this team that's like unbeatable, but for the last regular season and a half, basically, they have been the best team in the league in this setting. Um, they're better at home, which is certainly worth, worth noting that they're not always so good on the road. But a tough test for Nate and company as they turn around here. And then after that, they go on the road to the West Coast for a tough stretch as well. So we'll cover it all after after the game on Thursday evening. That'll be the last show of the week, quote-unquote. And then we'll get into Saturday's late-night action in Phoenix. But um, that covers it for today. Please subscribe to the podcast. Check us out on Twitter at LockedOnHawks. You can send us an email uh, for a mailbag question to LockedOnHawks.gmail.com. We've been very busy this week with three or four shows. So catch up on those. Download, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, tell a friend, get creative to support the podcast. Really, really appreciate all of that from everybody that listens, even occasionally. If you're an occasional listener, we welcome you as well. But check us out all the time if you possibly can. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you after the game on Thursday night.